KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Unfortunately, when we got down there, the Cuban government canceled all of our games. Somebody had heard that we were in town. They came to our hotel, told us to show up to this uh, out-of-the-way village. We had to keep it kind of hush-hush, but we were able to piece together seven games um, just because of the passion the Cuban people have for the game of baseball. And our guest this week is Dave Beccaria. He is the head baseball coach at Division Three Haverford College, one of the most successful baseball coaches in the region. And Dave, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about as we are recording this. It's mid-June. Uh, what is this time of year for you? Is this as about as much downtime as you get the, the next couple months? Are you waist deep into recruiting, looking ahead for a couple of years? Kind of what is this time of year for you? Uh, yeah, we're getting into recruiting right now. So the, the whole summer is actually pretty busy. Um, for us, it kind of starts out with uh, some more local events. And um, starting next week, I'll actually be on the West Coast. Uh, we go to California. Luckily, the uh, academic reputation of our school allows us to recruit nationally. So we do spend some time on the West Coast coast each summer. And, um, you know, trips like that have been pretty productive for us. So uh, most of the summer will be uh, a grind, uh, bouncing around from place to place. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a really fun time of year, too, and that we get to meet a lot of people, get to see a lot of different things. How much of a challenge is recruiting nationally because of the reputation of the school? I mean, a lot of Division three programs you know, aren't bound to like, you know, 200 miles in any direction, but they stay in their own backyard for the most part. I'm sure it opens some doors, but I'm sure it also presents a lot of challenges, no? Well, I mean, I think every school, you know, has its own pros and cons and and challenges and and benefits when it comes to recruiting and and trying to sell the school. Um, You know, for us, it's no different. Um, I think the challenge to being able to recruit nationally is that you just have to pick your spots. You can go just about anywhere, but you have to know where you need to be. Um, and for us, that that's really just trying to target um, some of the best and brightest students in the country who are really good baseball players. So events that typically cater towards that kind of student athlete is, is where we'll be, um, tends to be the best use of our, our time and money from, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, but just, you know, the reputation of the school allowing us to kind of look far and wide is, is a pretty big thing because the academic profile needed for admission to our place is pretty steep. Um, you know, basically we are like a small Ivy league school, you know, we're looking for very similar kinds of students and very similar kinds of student athletes. Um, and, and that academic profile isn't easy to find in in one particular place. So we're lucky that we can go a lot of different places to find enough student athletes who can really help our program and be a great fit for our school. So I'm curious, I believe you just finished your 22nd year as head coach, if I'm not mistaken. How long did it take for you to really find your your rhythm recruiting wise because it's nationally because of the unique kind of profile of the school? Now, you went to Johns Hopkins, so you kind of came up in a similar type of environment. But, you know, I would imagine at first, is it a little overwhelming when you're you're starting to recruit and put pieces together or did you feel pretty good right off the start? I mean, I think you learn everything as you go. And I think no matter how much you think you know in the beginning, um, you know, you're going to learn a whole lot more once you start digging in and doing the work. And I think that was the way it was for us when we were recruiting. I think we 
tried to model the example of some other programs uh, who had been successful following around some of the Ivy League programs, kind of seeing, you know, where were they going? Where were they, you know, yielding the most benefits from, from their recruiting experiences? Um, and then from there, we were able to kind of, you know, make our own determinations based on the experiences that we were having. So, um, you know, we're constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly trying to change and evolve in different ways. And um, I think if we keep doing things the way we used to do them, we're not going to keep advancing the program. And the whole goal for us right now is how do we keep moving things forward? So let's talk a little bit about your story of baseball. Was that always the number one sport for you growing up? Grew up in Delaware, right? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, not too far away from here. Um, went to Salesianum School, uh, which is an all-boys Catholic school in Delaware. Um, I played multiple sports, and I think that was sort of the way things went back then. It's happening a little less now. Um, but uh, I played one year of soccer in high school, played basketball and baseball as well. Um, I was probably a little better in baseball than I was at the other sports. But I think one of the cool things uh, for me now being a coach, having played multiple sports, is that I had different roles and different kinds of experiences um, in the different sports. And I think that that's allowed me to uh, understand what it's like to be uh, as a student athlete on our team who might have a different kind of role. So, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to not play a lot in certain sports. I know what it's like to, you know, have to work really hard to kind of earn my way. I, I know what it's like to, to play a lot and be counted on on a daily basis or be in a lineup regularly. Um, and, you know, with that comes a lot of ups and downs that you experience as well. But like, I really valued all of the sporting experiences that I had, but um, baseball, I think first and foremost was always sort of the biggest passion for me. And, um, I think I always had a somewhat of a desire to, to get into coaching. And I was lucky to be coached by a lot of really good people who had a, a big influence on me personally and, and athletically. Uh, my high school coach, Dennis Walker, um, you know, made a big impact on me. And I think gave me some of the life skills that, uh, I still value today. And I think, um, you know, I, I strive to use to try to help help me be as good as I can be as a, as a person, as a, as a coach, as a father, um, Bob Babb at Johns Hopkins university, one of the most successful coaches in all of college baseball, um, learned a lot from him, just the way to go about trying to, to build and run a really successful college program, um, and how to do that in a way that I think, um, you know, empowers your student athletes to have a really good experience at the same time. So, uh, coaching's kind of always been in my blood for a little while. I thought maybe I wanted to write about it uh, or be a, a journalist. Um, but uh, I realized that it was the day-to-day, -day, the teaching, the interaction with the student athletes and the, the competitive aspect that, uh, that really just drew me to making sure that I, I knew I wanted to be a coach. Now, growing up, you played third base for the most part. Uh, were you always kind of a third baseman or were you moving around and just as you kind of got older and it got a little more serious, you kind of settled into to third. No, I actually grew up pitching and playing first base and um, just the way things had worked out in high school, my junior year of high school, uh, one of our better, one of our best players was actually a pitcher third baseman and he was our, he was our top pitcher as well. So I think the plan initially was for me just to play third base on the days he was pitching. And then he would, you know, go back to playing third base on the other days. Um, I got off to a really good start that year offensively. And I think, um, you know, things just worked out where I was able to actually just play third on a regular basis and allow him to kind of save his arm uh, instead of playing third on the days he wasn't pitching, allow him to 
uh, DH and, and pitch uh, a little bit more. So that's kind of how that worked out. And I'd always continued to dabble a little bit in pitching, but never did a whole lot of that in the high school level. And then uh, in college, it's basically just third base and a little bit of first base and DH. Third bases can be tough. Maybe not shortstop tough as far as, you know, moving parts of the game. But uh, did you take to it right away? Was there an adjustment? Well, at first in high school, I thought there was a pretty big adjustment. I think like as I kind of understood the totality of what the position was asking, um, you know, I think I think I tried to evolve with that. But uh, I like to think as hard as third base can be to play. I like to think that I make I made it look even more difficult with the way I played it. So when did you start to realize that you might be able to take this baseball thing as a player? to the college level further than most. Do you remember when you started to realize you were getting attention? Back when I was in high school, there were very few. The recruiting climate was so different than it is today. There are just fewer events. There really weren't that many showcases or camps. Um, the internet wasn't really a thing yet. So um, it, it was a much different thing. But there was um, there used to be a two-day event in New Jersey run by a guy named Joe Wadica, who was one of the forerunners of the recruiting and scouting community. Um, and basically like players from Southeastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Delaware would go there for a weekend and, you know, play in front of college coaches. And uh, after the first time I went to that, I started getting a little bit of um, interest from some different colleges. And I think that helped really kind of like steer some of my uh, direction for my college search. Mentioned earlier, you went to Hopkins. What was it that, you know, you decide, I mean, obviously a fantastic school, but you know, was there was once they got involved, was that always the direction you were going to go? So um, it was always where I wanted to go, but for the most part of, of the schools that I had uh, where opportunities were expressed. Um, and it was just a combination of academics and athletics, you know, to be at a, at a place that really values um, achievement in the classroom and on the field at the same time was really appealing to me. Um, I always took a lot of pride in my schoolwork and I wanted to be challenged in the classroom. And at the same time, baseball was really important to me. And I wanted to be a part of um, a baseball program that aspired to excel. And knowing that Bob Babb had um, such a great track record already at the time and had aspirations to do even more with the program was really enticing for me. Um, but my road to Johns Hopkins was not all that straightforward. Um, I had gotten admitted to Hopkins out of high school, couldn't afford to go there at the time. So I actually went to um, small division one school, Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland for a year and a half, uh, played baseball there, had a really good experience, really enjoyed the people there. The community was great. Uh, the interaction with the professors at a smaller school like that was, was really appealing too. Um, and then uh, once I had an opportunity to transfer into Johns Hopkins, I, I took advantage of doing that. So I was able to save some money and then find a time that was sort of right for me and my family. Um, and so halfway through my sophomore year was when I actually started going to Johns Hopkins. What's the transition like going from Mount St. Mary's to Hopkins from a baseball standpoint? Was it difficult? Was it smooth? Was it actually a little bit easier going from division one to, to, to division three, kind of, how would you, how would you place it? I think the hardest thing was actually transferring mid year, um, you know, transferring right before the spring semester begins. I think at that point, not only going to a different school, but coming in midway through a year when everybody sort of has housing already established and, you know, has their 
daily routines already established, it was a little difficult to kind of break into some of that. Um, that was probably the most difficult part of it. Um, however, one of the things that really surprised me at the time was that um, I was transferring from a Division One program to a Division Three program, uh, but the Division Three program was far more competitive. So, you know, I never assumed that I was going to just step onto campus and play a lot or anything like that because I knew how competitive and deep the Hopkins program was. There were 60 to 65 players in the program at that time, and there was a full JV program and a full varsity program. So when I transferred in, um, I actually played JV for the rest of that semester. And then it wasn't, wasn't until the last two years where I was actually on the varsity team there. Um, but I was somewhat surprised at how different the level of competition was um, and how more challenging, actually, the Division Three uh, team that I was transferring to was than, than the Division One team I was coming from. Your years at Hopkins, when you think of think back on it what are kind of your favorite memories um the people I played with you know and just learning a lot from Bob um you know the teams I played on were very good but weren't quite as good as some of the other teams that that they've had there um and that didn't take away at all from the experiences that we had but it was really just the friendships you know it's I think it's like anything else if you do it right you're around people you uh, share something in common with and you're all working towards some similar goals and um, you know, I made some friendships there that matter a, a lot to me. Um, it was also, I think, just the the thing I took away personally was just how much I think I realized during that time that it was coaching that I wanted to pursue. And, um, you know, that I was able to learn a lot, was able to kind of just sort of see the blueprint in some ways that Bob was putting forth. And then um, after I graduated, uh, I actually had an opportunity to go to graduate school there and to coach there for a year. So I stayed, I stayed there for an extra year while I was in graduate school and had an opportunity to just start an internship of sorts where I would uh, coach the JV team and, uh, and assist on the varsity team and work in our sports information office while taking classes at night. And um, it's a pretty busy year, but it was a, a really formative year at the same time. I'm curious, and I asked this question of a lot of people. I'm always fascinated of the dynamic. So you be you're working as an assistant, and I would imagine a lot of the kids on the team, below, you know, were teammates. The month before you get the job, is that difficult? From a, you're one of the guys, and now you're kind of an authority figure, and do you have to kind of build a wall, you know, to kind of separate life? you know, your days as a player, days as a coach, and how tough is that at 22, 23, 24? I mean, it's as difficult as you'll make it. I think you have to kind of like understand what you want your role to be and, and what you want to be able to get out of it and, and what you need the players to be able to get out of that relationship as well. So um, I didn't find it all that difficult because I felt like pretty early on, I, I, I kind of knew what I wanted how I wanted that relationship to, to take place. So I actually still lived with some of the players on the team. Uh, but, you know, whenever it came to social gatherings or going out at nights, you know, I, I kind of, I let them do their thing while I tried to, uh, you know, avoid some of those social situations that maybe I would have entered into with them if I was still a player. You mentioned several times that coaching, it was the direction you wanted to go in for a while and you talk about the relationships and the impact coaches have had. Were there other things that led you down? Did you enjoy kind of the, the tactics of the game, kind of the strat strategy and the cerebral 
aspect? Did was there an infatuation there that that was something that carried you as well? Um, I think it's more about the teaching. You know, I feel like um, so my mom was a, a teacher, and I think my parents are, are both educators in their own way. And I feel like uh, I just like the hands-on teaching. I really enjoy the player development perspective and the opportunity that we have here. Um, maybe even more so than sort of the strategic tactical kind of game stuff. Um, just getting a chance to like work with highly motivated, super driven, you know, student athletes who, who care a lot, a lot about uh, what they're doing is, is really what appeals most to me. And honestly, that's why I really love coaching at Haverford. You know, we get to deal with super smart kids who have some pretty significant goals set for themselves academically and athletically. And to be at an institution that understands that academic excellence and athletic achievement aren't mutually exclusive is really important to me. Um, and to be able to play a role in helping our student athletes find out how good they can be is a, a really big part of my job. Time to take a break on one-on-one. -on -one. We will have more with Haverford College head baseball coach Dave Beccaria right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week on one-on-one -on -one is Dave Beccaria, and he is the head baseball coach at Division Three Haverford College. In reading and prepping for this, I saw a line that you also spent some time coaching the Swiss in the Swiss League. What was that? And that was during your, was that when you were in college? It was, yes. It was, it was in the summer between my sophomore and junior year of college. Uh, basically, when I was at Johns Hopkins, one of our assistant coaches think was like part owner of an Australian uh, professional baseball team. And so he had some contacts in the international baseball community. And uh, somebody had reached out asking if anybody wanted to go coach in Switzerland for the summer. And, um, you know, it was an opportunity. It was like one of the first opportunities I had to, to, to try my hand in coaching and to try to see what it was like. And I thought it was going to be important for me to hopefully figure out some of that before I was ready to graduate. So, and also having grown up in Delaware and really never spending any time outside of the mid-Atlantic region, this was an opportunity for me to hopefully grow a little bit personally and see a different part of the world that I, I may not have another opportunity to see. So um, I jumped at that opportunity, uh, lived in Switzerland for about two and a half months, um, coached four different teams uh, within one club in Aarau, Switzerland. Um, basically, it was a youth team. Uh, which I believe was like under six, under age 16. There were two men's teams of 16 and over um, people. And then there was a, a women's team. It was basically a softball team. Um, and it was just really cool to be able to just, uh, just dabble a little bit in coaching, um, get my feet wet, um, you know, make some mistakes, but be able to learn pretty quickly from them. And, um, you know, the people I was with there were like really friendly and uh, really helped me have like a, a good and rewarding experience. Um, unfortunately, I think one of my claims to fame is that I may have ruined softball for our women's team in that uh, one day they had asked, uh, why do they need to play softball when the boys get to play baseball? And I said, I don't know. Do you want to play baseball today? And they said, sure. So we played baseball and they just loved hitting the baseballs so much. They didn't want to go back to hitting softballs after that. So um, probably learned a, an important lesson there. What was the, you know, you mentioned a kid who, you know, spent most of your time in this area around Delaware, you know, what was it just like 
from a culture standpoint, from a, you know, did you feel like you got parachuted into a different world? What was it from that standpoint, you know, and, and when you weren't coaching, what were you able to get the opportunity to do? Yeah, I, I guess I felt woefully unprepared to be in such a different kind of environment, um, especially since I didn't know the language. Um, uh, they spoke Swiss German. I didn't know any German. Um, I felt uh, somewhat embarrassed that uh, I wasn't multilingual. Uh, a lot of the people I was staying with, you know, spoke many different languages um, and, and they would speak fluent English with me. Um, and I felt bad that I couldn't kind of do the same in return and kind of respect um, the culture and where I, where I was living at the time. Um, I was very conscious of trying to not be the ugly American who would just butcher the language. Um, but I tried to learn as much as I could, tried to keep my eyes and ears open and just um, uh, learn and grow as much as I could while I was there. And, and unfortunately, the people I was with were really understanding. And I think understood that, like, I was just trying to use this as like a really important learning experience for me personally. And they were very helpful with all of that. Um, there wasn't a whole lot to do. So there was a lot of coaching every day. Um, but you know, really in the mornings and early afternoons, I was pretty much on my own and, um, would exercise, would try to, I had a bicycle that I would try to just ride around try to see as much of the country as I could, uh, within biking distance. Um, but that was about it. I probably could have made more of the experience if I had a lot more money to explore and do some different things. How was the food? It was, it was great, but I like all food. So did that, I mean, you obviously like, it's very obvious you went in there with the right attitude and the open mind, but did that experience change you at all? Like, did you, did you appreciate things? Did it open your eyes to things? Did it confirm things you already believe? What did it have? What kind of effect did it kind of have on you? Big picture. Um, I think one of the things that was interesting to me was just how a one size fits all approach as a coach isn't really the best tactic. Um, you know, having coached four different teams and people of different ages and different genders, um, everybody had their own perspective on what the game was to them. And, uh, everybody moved differently. Everybody had different strengths and weaknesses and different needs as a player. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that what I saw as very black and white before in terms of, uh, how to coach certain things um, really wasn't that simple, that it was really going to be about trying to figure out how to connect to each individual um, and to help them figure out what they needed most in order to help them become the very best player they could be, as opposed to what I thought they needed to become the best player I wanted them to be. You start your coaching, your college coaching career at your alma mater at Hopkins, I believe a year or two later, you come on board as an assistant at Haverford, kind of what opened the door? What was the the connection? Was it something you were looking to, to try a different place? Did the opportunity come to you? How'd it come together? Uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of serendipity. Um, while I was coaching at Johns Hopkins, um, I heard from a man named Kevin Morgan, who's been an assistant coach at Haverford now for 30, over 31 years. Um, he was starting a, a program called Sports Challenge, which is now called Strive. It's a sports leadership program. And at the time, it was a two-week sports leadership camp uh, devoted to a, a, a certain, certain kinds of sports. And he wanted me to come and be a part of their coaching staff for the summer. And it seemed like a cool opportunity to 
combine some classroom teaching and some leadership development with some on-field player development. And so I went ahead and did that. Um, the way it kind of related to Haverford was Kevin was an assistant coach at Haverford College at the time. The head coach at Haverford College, Ed Mollish, um, was also on staff there at Sports Challenge, as were a bunch of uh, current and former players at Haverford. So there were some people from some other schools as well. Uh, but I had a chance to meet a lot of Haverford people, and it was developing some of those relationships that sort of put Haverford on the radar for me. Um, and then I think the what what really brought me to Haverford was that Ed Mollish, the head coach at the time, was talking about how he was planning to be around only for another couple of years. And the athletic director at Haverford, Greg Canterstein, um, you know, thought it'd be a good idea for me to come and help out for a couple of years. And then, you know, if and when Ed, you know, eventually decided to, uh, you know, retire from coaching, that there might be an opportunity for me to take over. And that's that's kind of what happened. So I'm really grateful for Kevin Morgan for creating that opportunity in the first place. Um, he's still a super big part of our program and um, basically been volunteering his time for over 31 years now. And, you know, in my 22 years as head coach, Kevin has been uh, my bench coach. Uh, we have a great relationship. We talk about everything together and um, all plans that pertain to our baseball program uh, pretty much involve discussion between me and him. So, I mean, obviously it was the right decision. Did you feel comfortable right away at Haverford? Was it a place that, you know, the first six months you're like, you know, this, this is where I need to be right now. I really like the people there right away. I think um, it might've taken a, a little bit of time for some other people to kind of come to terms with me. Um, at the time I remember showing up to my first practice, I didn't own any Haverford gear. So I showed up in a Johns Hopkins t-shirt and I'm not yeah. sure that was the right first impression to make. So uh, given the fact that we're in the same conference, uh, but I think over time, people really started to understand that I was I was there for Haverford and I was not, you know, trying to make Haverford someplace other than what it was. So I'm curious, the, the couple of years there where you're on staff and there's kind of, you know, the the idea that there is very likely to be an opportunity to be a head coach. How did you approach those two years? I mean, obviously, you're doing your job, but how much are you? just listening and taking in with the idea that this one day, you know, it could be your program to run. I mean, that was sort of in the back of my mind. That wasn't really in the forefront of my mind while I was an assistant coach. I think, you know, we were focused on the here and now and, and, and trying to be as present as possible. So um, for me, it was still, I mean, I was 22, 23. I needed to learn as much as I could and, and try to soak up as much as I could from Ed Mollish, from Kevin, from the experiences they had had at the college level, um, and really just sort of put my head down and try to do the work. And we had just had tremendous student athletes that we had a chance to work with and, um, you know, just how trusting I think they were for somebody new to be able to like allow me to, to try to work closely with them. And to try to be a part of their journey in the sport was just uh, really rewarding. Um, but it was just a lot of learning for me. I just tried to like keep my eyes and ears open as much as I could. So you take over as the head coach uh, mid-2000, I think, uh, around this time, maybe July of 2000. Uh, what was that like? You know, you're young. I, that's inc incredibly young to be running a program, I guess, what, 26 around then? Yeah, I was 25 when I got the job. And I think um, 
I don't know. I, I mean, I felt fairly well prepared uh, for the job because I tried to be so diligent about, you know, learning about the craft of coaching, learning a lot about Haverford, my experience, you know, my experience over the previous few years there, learning from Ed and Kevin. Um, but um, I don't think you ever really know what you're getting into until you actually start doing the work. So even though I felt pretty prepared uh, to get started with my head coaching career, there was a lot more that I needed to learn pretty quickly. And, and um, you know, again, I, I fortunately, I, I feel like I have a growth mindset. So like I'm constantly trying to figure out how to do a little bit better than I'm doing right now. And I think that was really helpful, especially that first year. Um, I was also grateful that, uh, you know, the guys on the team, I think, were, were really patient with a first-year coach. And uh, I don't think there were any, like, major mistakes along the way necessarily. Um, but, you know, there are going to be some ups and downs and some growing pains anytime you have somebody doing something for the first time. And uh, the group that we had was, I think, just really helpful in allowing me to kind of find my own way, find my own voice as a coach. To that point, I'm curious, do you remember, was there a, a first thing that came onto your desk that you were like, oh, I guess this is something I have to, I have to handle. Like that was just not something you ever anticipated or ever that maybe you just took for granted kind of happened, but it happens because the person in your job makes it happen. Do you remember early on anything like that or getting any phone calls about something that you were supposed to do that you didn't know? I don't remember anything about like that specifically. I think the, the, you know, there's so much more to the job than what happens on the field though, that it's a lot of the administrative tasks, a lot of the day-to-day -day kinds of things that probably go overlooked at times until you really kind of sit in the chair and, and start doing that job. Um, I will say one of the most intimidating parts of my first year was we had an invitation from the university of Havana to go play a series of games in Cuba so we had to get a license from the U.S. Treasury Department to go down there and play a series of games. And so my first game in the spring as head coach at Haverford was actually in Cuba. The first seven games we played were actually in Cuba. And so that was kind of nerve wracking, being a 25 year old first time head coach, you know, rolling into Cuba um, with a with a college baseball team um, was, uh, you know, not necessarily easing into that aspect of my career what's the experience in cuba like i mean from a baseball standpoint and then just from a you know you're in a place that a lot of people don't go to a lot of people aren't allowed to go to yeah i mean just the the fact that we were able to see something that not a lot of americans get to see was was, was obviously very cool um our whole team took a, a semester-long class on u.s cuban relations and, and, and politics um and we actually took a group of other students and professors and some some other faculty members and parents and alums with us. So it was a pretty big group trip uh, going down there. Unfortunately, when we got down there, um, the Cuban government canceled all of our games. They found out that we were coming in and there was some tension about something at the time. Uh, so we are sitting down there the first night after we get in and we realize that like we don't have anybody to play anymore. So one of the things I really appreciated and really learned about the Cuban baseball culture was that people want, just want to play the game anywhere, everywhere they can. And so somebody had heard that we were in town. They came to our hotel, told us to show up to this uh, out of the way village uh, the next day at a certain time. And we did. And um, we were there to play a baseball game. And that's, that's kind of how things started. And once we played that game, 
other people heard that we were in town and we had to keep it kind of hush hush, but we were able to piece together seven games um, just because of the passion the Cuban people have for the game of baseball. Um, it was a very poor kind of country. Um, you know, we didn't have all the same resources that we are very fortunate to have, um, you know, for our college facilities here. Um, but it was a pretty amazing cultural experience, um, an eye-opening personal experience, um, and a really cool baseball experience. And I'm curious, were there points where you almost felt like it was espionage? Like somebody comes to the hotel, come to this field at this time. Don't tell anybody where you're going. I mean, did you, or were you just kind of, Hey, let's play. Um, it, it was a little weird in that, like, you know, we take a lot of our freedoms for granted and, and the, we don't feel like people are constantly looking over our shoulder all the time, but, um, you know, it's definitely something that was a part of the daily existence for some of the people we came in contact with. We need to take another break. We will have more with Dave Beccaria right after this. And we are back on one-on-one as we continue our chat with Dave Beccaria, the head baseball coach at Haverford College. So overall, once you get cooking at Haverford, you know, how many, how long did it, do you feel it took you to really kind of find your, your pace as a head coach, not just from a success standpoint, but as you mentioned, the administrative work that goes into it that a lot of people don't realize, you know, was it a couple seasons before you kind of figured out, okay, that, you know, you were able to get your arms around it for the most part. I think I was able to get my arms around the, 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 the core responsibilities pretty quickly. But I mean, I think, I think, um, I think we're a perpetual work in progress. I think we're always better than we used to be, but we're still not as good as we want to be. And we're still, you know, we're still grinding and aspiring to try to do even more as a program right now. So um, I think it was probably the fourth year of our program. I felt like we were, things were starting to click. It was the senior year of the, the first group we had brought in the first recruiting class we had brought in. And I felt pretty good about our ability to make the playoffs for the first time. And, and we actually fell short. Um, and that was sort of eye-opening for me a little bit and that, you know, was we're going to probably need to continue to just work even harder, do even more than we think we might need to do to get ourselves to the level where we want to be as a program, which was at that time trying to find a way into the conference playoffs so that we could try to um, compete for a conference championship on an annual basis. And then um, the next year was the first year where we were actually able to, you know, get into our conference playoffs and, and win a conference playoff game you eventually get the program where you're winning, not just getting into the playoffs, but you're winning conference championships three times. Uh, I think 12, 14 and 16, you go to the NCAA tournament all those years and win a game in the NCAA tournament, which is, which is huge. I'm curious when you have years like that as a coach, do they hit differently because maybe the journey a team took the makeup of that team what they had to overcome, stuff like that. Like you remember them all fondly, but are they all, does the championship itself have a different feel to it? Yeah, absolutely. I think every team has its own personality. I think, you know, every year you, you, you start with the, you know, the same culture, some of the same principles, and, and you try to have a certain amount of continuity in your program over time. But because of the the people involved, you know, every team's going to have a slightly different personality, a slightly different dynamic. And 
Um, so the 2012 team to me was important because the year before in 2011, we had a very senior laden team and a group of guys who had played or started for most of their Haverford career. And we actually went 32 and 10 lost in our conference championship. And for some reason, didn't uh, get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. So we were really down because we thought that was going to be like one of the best chances we had had to win a conference championship. And for us to get over the hump of, of trying to beat Johns Hopkins, which for us was something we hadn't done yet to that point. Um, 2012, we had a lot of people who just were either young or had played behind some of the guys who played for a lot the year before. And so the 2012 group was really special for me in that just how much they grew throughout the course of the year. And at the last week of the conference season, um, we kind of looked around as a coaching staff and thought like we might be the best team here in, 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 in the conference. We'd have to prove it in the conference playoffs, but it's amazing how far we've come. We were really proud of that group. And that group was defined by the leadership of some like guys like Jeremy Zoll and, and Jake Chaplin, who are both currently working in professional baseball right now, but uh, just the leadership that they provided, the ability for, for them to help our team get through some, some rough patches in the middle of the season and to, to make sure that we were constantly learning and growing as a group was really important. Um, they kind of set some of the expectations and, and showed that it was possible for us to win championships. So in 2014, we were just scuffling offensively the entire year and we felt like we still had it in us to compete for another championship, but like just offensively, we were just not getting it done for whatever reason. And it really took a pretty big effort on the back half of our conference season just to get into the conference playoffs. But we felt like if we could get in the conference playoff, we were tough enough. Um, and had really kind of learned how to like win different situations uh, during a baseball game to kind of flip the uh, the win probabilities um, at times, and that group just continued to just show up every day, be just tough and resilient, and find a way to kind of win those little battles in a game that make the difference in you know winning the overall outcome. And um, we actually lost the first game of our conference playoff that year, and had to win the next four, and won four straight to win the conference championship, and. Um, one of the things I thought was really cool about that, there was uh, one of our seniors who had been a big part of our program for years and been a, a regular starter over time, um, had been one of the guys who just hadn't been swinging the bat all that well. Um, his name was Justin Coulter. And by the time we got back into conference playoffs, we had said, okay, we're going to put Justin and a couple of these other guys back in there because they've kind of earned the right and we want them to be a part of this ride in the playoffs. And we're going to need their experience and we're going to need the upside that they that they have. And long story short, the bottom of the 12th inning base is loaded in the final final game of the championship. Justin Coulter gets the game winning hit to uh, to give us our second conference championship. And so I think for a lot of the guys who had fought and, um, you know, taken some hits along the way for them to kind of just hang in there enough and be resilient enough to experience some success was just really important in 2014. And then 2016 was one of the first times where I felt like we just felt like we were from beginning to end, maybe the most talented team in the league. Uh, we were really fortunate that we had a pitching staff that was about as good as we'd ever had. Uh, Justin Herring was our number one pitcher and had been just about unbeatable the entire year, even against the best competition. Um, our number two pitcher that year was Steve Ridings, who actually made his major league debut uh, last summer. 
Um, so when you have a future major leaguer as the number two guy on your pitching staff, you've got a chance to be pretty good at the division three level. And uh, those guys kind of carried us the whole year, but we were pretty complete as a team that year as well. So that, that 2012 was the was not just your first, but that was the program's first conference title, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, although uh, the relationships at Haverford over years have been really important, I mean, the college hadn't had back-to-back years of over 500 baseball in uh, 50 years prior to prior to us taking over the program. So, you know, we were really trying to, to build something um almost from scratch, but uh, tried not to change too much of what was already working, but tried to maybe tweak a couple things on the field that were not necessarily working at the time. So yeah, it was all new to us at that point. And uh, 2012 was really special because of that. It was also special in that we had, I think that was our fifth conference championship game that we had been in and hadn't won one yet. So having been there and just fallen short a number of different times, um, it was really special when we finally got over that hump and actually won the deciding game. How proud, I guess, are you that, you know, you can kind of draw a line to success of Haverford baseball and the line starts going up and you get it to the point under one year watch where you guys are the big kid on the block and everybody knows in the centennial, which is a grind of a conference, you know, when when you guys are coming to town, I mean, how, how much pride do you take in, in that and the, you know, what you've been able to build? I mean, I think we're all really proud of kind of where the program's gone. I, I don't think we're satisfied yet with, with where we are. I think we're constantly trying to do more. I think the, the goal in our program now is instead of just being, you know, a really good team that competes for conference championships every year and, and one of the better teams in the in the country, we want to be a truly elite division three baseball program. Um, we're really aspiring to have the same kind of lofty reputation athletically that our school has academically. And so that's kind of what we're working towards right now. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're definitely proud that a lot of the hard work and, and, and time and effort that we've put in has like allowed our program to advance, but I don't think anybody's satisfied yet with where we are. And I think one of the really important things is that like, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of people moving in the same direction. So our alums, you know, parents, friends of the program, um, all the assistant coaches and all the players we've had over time have all wanted similar things and have all been willing to kind of work really hard and sacrifice certain things in order to try to help our program move forward. And, you know, this has been, uh, this has been a group project over, over a really long time. And, um, you know, we don't we don't take that for granted. We we know how important our program is to the people who've been a part of it, and you know we need to continue to uh, make sure that we are doing justice to everything that they've invested in the program. You mentioned Stephen Ridings, who made his major league debut with the Yankees and impressed with the Yankees. You've had other players that have been drafted, and not just oh by the way drafted. You know, drafted pretty high you know what does that mean for the program in addition Haverford you guys have play you guys have former players that are working in major league baseball in front offices all over the place uh what does that mean to kind of have that reputation and that kind of resume uh of uh you know players that come here are going to develop and you know, if you work hard, there are going to be opportunities to take this even further. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really important for us. Um, you know, um, we put a ton of time and energy into player development, mainly because we have a really small roster. So at the Division Three level, there are some extremely large rosters. Our roster is typically one of the smaller ones in the country. And because of that, we need everybody to be able to contribute. So we put a ton of time and energy into um, helping to maximize each person's ability. Um, and the fact that we've had a number of people who've been drafted, who've been able to play professionally, um, I think just says that that's not something we just say that we aspire to do, but that we're able to actually like pull it off at the same time. Um, it's also important for us as a program in that, like, I think, um, you know, there's never been a need to sort of validate Haverford as an academic institution because the academic reputation has always sort of spoken for itself for so long. Um, but that wasn't always the case from a baseball perspective. So, you know, having something tangible that we can say, okay, from a baseball perspective, we now have these championships and sort of, you know, these kind of accolades as a program and that we've been able to produce players who have uh, been able to go on and, and play professionally and work in major league baseball front offices. is something that I think really validates us from just a purely baseball perspective too. So um, I will say though, in that like, all we do is try to create the environment for our guys, you know, Steve and, and Tommy Bergjans, who was also an eighth round pick um, in 2015 by the Dodgers organization. Um, you know, Dean Laganoski who drafted in the 45th round by the Cleveland's organization in 2008 or nine, I believe uh, Jake Chaplin played for two years as a non-drafted free agent, in the Dodgers organization. Um, those guys did the work, you know, they kind of created those opportunities for themselves. All we did was hopefully just kind of, um, create an environment that allowed them to be their very best and for them to figure out how to work smart enough so that they could actually focus on the things that would yield the biggest dividends for their own personal growth and development. I'm curious. We talked about you win the first conference championship in 2012, but you guys had been knocking on the door. Do you remember, you know, you take over in 2000, is there a game, a practice, a bus ride, a conversation where you really started to realize this thing is going in a, in the right direction and we're going to we're going to be difficult you know going forward there was I, I don't know about uh if i can say that that clearly that i knew we were going to be okay moving forward i think there was a moment in time when we got sort of over the hump in 2012 and, and gave ourselves the ability to really i think be on the right track to compete for a championship so uh, around the middle of the season i think we were a little better than 500 but had to do a lot of winning um, down the stretch in order to get into our conference playoffs and we had a double header at washington college and they were playing really well. And in fact, they ended up being the team that we beat in the to win the conference championship later on. Uh, but we went down there having to take care of business. And we actually, I think, scored 40 runs in the doubleheader and got the two wins that we needed. And I think really started playing our very best baseball. And I think the guys, as we got back on the bus that day, kind of were able to look at each other and say, OK, we might have something here. I think we might have kind of crack the code to figure it out, like how we can, how we can be our very best selves for the rest of this year. Favorite part of what you do. Working with the student athletes we get to work with just being a part of their experience. I mean, they're all, they're all bright. They're all talented. They're all different in their own ways. Um, just having the privilege to be a part of their, their experience, you know, at the college level is, is um, a responsibility. I don't take lightly. 
um, and all the other people we've been able to kind of just come in contact with, you know, through the program, you know, some of the alums, people I didn't even coach, but people who consider friends now and people who we lean on a variety of different ways. Uh, those kinds of relationships are, are really important. Um, you know, I'm grateful for just being able to be a part of things here. Dave Pecoria, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Dave Beccaria, head baseball coach at Haverford College, for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next time when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.